0: Jump in this morning. We're in the middle of a series called "This Is the Way," and it's very fun for me. And if you know me, I'm a huge movie fan, and so often we'll start sermons and stuff with uh, with clips from movies because it captures my attention, and I think it captures a lot of our attentions. And one of the things I've been really proud of as a father uh, is that my kids have gotten into the Rocky series, like the whole Sylvester Stallone, you know, Rocky One, Rocky Two. In fact, Sarah, my uh, youngest. If if one of the Rocky movies comes on, she's like, Dad, come watch it with me. Dad, come watch it with me. And if you have kids you know, that's just that moment where you're like, oh, this is it. This is life right here. In fact, when Rocky 3 comes on in particular, that's the one that Sarah loves. By the way, I think Rocky 3 is the most underrated of all the Rocky movies. Just as a point of clarification, there are some that need to be thrown out (coughs) Rocky 5. But the rest of them are awesome. And so as somebody who has enjoyed these movies my whole life, uh, when they came out with the newest version, the newest edition of it, which is the Creed movies, with Adonis Creed, a guy, Michael B. Jordan's character, plays Adonis Creed, who's the son of Apollo Creed, the guy that Rocky fought in the first two movies, and then became really great friends with later on. I mean, I could tell you the whole arc of the story. It's really a love story, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the whole point is, when Creed came out, I was super excited, and so I went and watched it, and it's just one of those movies that if it is on, I am watching it, no matter what. So there's a great scene in the movie where Rocky and Adonis Creed, Apollo Creed's son, meet. And, and Creed asks Rocky to train him. And so they go through this whole thing where Rocky says, you know, okay, that this, okay, I'll agree to train you. Like there's some demons in the closet, skeletons in the closet for me on this. But you've got you to gotta want it, right? So he says, here's what it's going to take. You're going to get knocked down, but you're going to have to get back up. You're going to get beat up. You're going to get hurt. You're going to have to go through it. The whole thing, but if you're willing to do that, there might just be something special in you—something special like your dad. So here's a great scene where there's a moment where Rocky says to, to Adonis Jordan or Adonis Creed, rather. He says, "Here's here's what it's going to take. You're going to have to stare in the mirror and figure out who's that man that's staring back." Let's play that clip. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, crud. Anyway, uh, all right. Let me switch gears here. Um, so anyway, I'll explain. The, it's not nearly as good when I explain it. So anyway, they, they go through this whole thing. They walk through the gym. They get up to this window, and or this mirror, rather. And Rocky's standing next to Creed. Yeah, here we go. And so he's standing there. He goes, okay, take your stance. And he's in his stance here. And he goes, you see this guy in the mirror? That guy right there staring back at you? Like, that's your worst enemy. That's your toughest opponent. Never forget, that's going to be your toughest opponent. When you step in, he goes, I believe that in the ring, and I believe that in life. So throw a jab here, and he throws a jab. He goes, now an upper undercut there. He goes, what happens in the mirror there? He goes, well, he's throwing a punch back at me. He goes, all right, well, you've got to slip it, move, or get out of the way, he says. I've seen this a couple of times. (laughs) And now he says here to me, he goes, goes, I'm going to leave you guys alone for a little bit. And then he just walks away, right? It's this magical scene. If we had the audio, it would be really cool. Um, but it's this really great scene where, where he's saying, look, you have to, here's the line, you have to go through you. You have to go through you. If you want to get to the other side, if you want to get to where you want to be, where God wants you to be, you have to go through you. So we're in the middle of a series right now called This is in The Way, and we're just asking the question, what does it look like to really follow Jesus in our distracted and stressful and crazy world? What does it look like to walk with Jesus? And and one of the things that we realize is if we don't spend time with the man in the mirror, if we don't spend time staring down the other part of us in that mirror, we'll never get to be where we want to go. We need to be able to reflect. We're not going to grow. We're not going to become all that God wants us to be. And if you're anything like most of us, you know that standing in front of that mirror and looking into that mirror it's not fun. It's not always easy. Our wounds, our brokenness, all the deep-seated issues that tend to derail what we really want, where we want, and what God has called us to, they're all right there, staring back at us. If you live long enough, if you do anything that matters in this world, you know what I'm talking about. Because one of the things that we know, if you're leading something, whether it's just your family, whether it's, whether it's a, a spouse, whether it is a business, whatever it is, if you step out in, in leadership, one of the things that we know is, happens is that all of those fears, our family of origin issues, all the junk that we carry with us in our backpack, all the emotional baggage that we have in our life, it tends to overflow and derail us as we move through. And so if we're not staring in that mirror, if we're not looking at that man in the mirror and understanding that that may be our worst enemy that we're going to have to go through him or her, we'll never grow, we'll never get to bear we, where we want to be. And again, we all know what that looks like. It's that snap judgment that we make. It's that fear that keeps us from going after a dream that we have. Uh, it's that insecurity that keeps us from really being who God has called us to be. It's that past hurt that railroads us, that we just can't shake, that voice in our head that won't go away. And here's the problem unless we take the time to look at that man in the mirror to do a little shadow boxing we'll never get to freedom to where god has called us to where we want to go we've got to we've got a shadow box so here's the definition of shadow boxing because i looked this up and and this is that's that definition of standing in front of that man in the mirror And throwing and dodging punches. It says shadow boxing, this is what it does for boxers. It sets you up for the rest of your workout. The movements that you rehearse translate into more efficient movement and sharper, focused, faster responses to the commands given on the mitts. Use your shadow boxing time to prepare yourself for what is to come. That's ultimately what shadow boxing does is it prepares us for what's to come. Now, that's for a boxer, but again, I believe what is true for a boxer is true in life, like that great theologian Rocky Balboa said and reminded us. In fact, here's how James puts it. In uh, in his, James was the brother of Jesus, really sharp guy, spent his whole life with Jesus and just learned and observed so much truth in that moment. Here's what he says about it. He says, anyone who listens to the word, to Jesus, but doesn't do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. See, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, who shadow boxes and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, those are the people that end up blessed, free, full. See, if we're following Jesus, that's what we have... To live into, and if we want to live into who He's called us to become, here's the truth. We are always shadow boxing. Whether we know it or not, we are always shadow boxing. See, but this is the way. The way of, of a follower of Jesus engages in it and uses it as part of their training because they know we know it prepares us for what is to come it is the way to be free and whole and strong and blessed and prepared for everything that god has wanted to invite you into shadow boxing but here's the, the the hard part about this is that every one of us at some level hates it we hate it you know one of the most feared uh others than public speaking one of the most feared things in life is is being alone Especially in our culture, we have all this noise, we have all this uh, distraction, we have all these things. We are we are never alone in our culture, in our lives. In large part because of this, we're never alone. We're just a touch away. Do so you know that the average person touches their cell phone two thousand five hundred times a day? Two thousand five hundred times a day. We have we have lost the ability to be alone. Looking at ourselves in the mirror. We've lost the ability to shadow box. And it's only doing damage for us. Now, introverts might argue with me a little bit on this. Y'all love to be alone. But the truth is, when you are alone, you are typically doing something else. Reading, engaging in on your phone. Reading a book. Whatever it is. But spending time alone, dedicated, looking into the mirror and shadow boxing, that's, that's terrifying. See, Henri Nouwen, who is uh, a mentor and a spiritual uh, guru and a giant in in, uh, in my life and in the life of a lot of Christians, he put it this way. He goes, when, "When as soon as we're alone, inner chaos tends to open up. See, this chaos can be so disturbing and so confusing, we can hardly wait to get busy again. Entering into a private room and shutting the door, therefore, does not mean that we immediately shut out all of our inner doubts, our anxieties, our fears, our bad memories, our unresolved conflicts. On the contrary, when we remove all of our outer distractions, we often find that our inner distractions manifest themselves in a full-on force, full frontal. They are throwing punches back. We use instead our outer distractions to shield ourselves from all that interior noise that we're afraid to confront. This is all of us. This is all of us. Now there's some of you in this room and some of you watching that might be like, I don't feel that angst up about it. And that might be true because one of the things that you have learned is that God has called you to go through you to get to things that mattered. You have to go through you to get to things that matter. That is just a truth in life, and no matter how much we want to avoid it or try to circumvent it or escape out of it, God is saying, no, the only way to freedom, the only way to life, the only way to truly become who I have called you to be is for you to go through you to engage with it, to shadow box all the days of your life. Again, as a culture, we are not good at this. We so often just tend to hide. It could be our lineage, our human nature. Adam and Eve, the very first thing they did when they encountered a negative emotion, shame, is they hid. They hid from each other. They hid from God. Because the Bible says that they realized they were naked. I think that was true physically, but I also think it was true metaphorically. So humanity, we just have this this tendency to hide, and we use distraction, we use all these other things to do it. We just grasp at anything, and our phones have just made it so easy to escape looking at the man in the mirror. And it's led culturally, and I think all of us would agree, it has led culturally to to really an epidemic of of a lack of self-awareness. There's an epidemic of a lack of self-awareness in our culture because we're not spending any time shadow boxing. We justify, we excuse, we shift the blame away from us. Instead of being transformed on the inside and healed and made whole, we just shift the blame and we stay stuck in our dysfunction. And defending our dysfunction becomes more important than healing from it, than growing out of it. Instead of looking at ourselves and unpacking what's going on in here because that's hard. We just project or we blame or the biggest thing is we diminish others who disagree with us. We diminish others. And here's the thing. Jesus talked a lot about this. This is not new. We have just perfected it, but it's not new. Jesus talked a lot about this in the, in the Gospels. The, over and over again, there's stories where he encounters this ability, this, this lack of ability or this lack of self-awareness in people, very often in a group of guys called the Pharisees, who felt like they could clean up the outside of the cup and look really good dancing in front of the mirror, but never stare down the guy looking back at them. And so there's one episode here in particular in Luke where Jesus has been teaching and he's, and he's giving these profound truths, but he's giving them often in parables, stories that really pack a punch, that get behind the veneer of people. And, and they expose something that needs to be dealt with. And so this is one of those times, uh, he says, To some who are confident of their own righteousness... And look down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I mean, robbers, evildoers, those really awful adulterers, even that guy, these tax collectors. I'm not like, thank God I'm not like them. Like I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all of I get. Pretty good guy. See, but the tax collector stood at a distance, he wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, in the midst of a culture that would have valued the first and diminished the second, I tell you that this guy, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves, they'll be exalted. So when we don't take time to look at ourselves first, this is what happens. Thank God I'm not like those people, them, they. If you think that sounds extreme, like just think about our culture right now. This is what we're living by, are these silos of they and those people. And if you think you're exempt from this, just pay attention to your inner dialogue as you're listening. Yeah, those people. We all have those categories. Thank God I'm not like those Trump supporters. They are messed up. Thank God I'm not like those power hungry Democrats. They're going to ruin our country. Thank God I'm not like this snowflake generation. Or thank God I'm not like those boomers. They're completely out of touch. Hello, boomer. Thank God I'm not like that guy at work. Thank, I'm, thank God I'm not like the rich elite. Thank God I'm not like the poor backwards red, rednecks who listen to country and western music. Like You can fill in the categories. And that's before we even get to the masks and the COVID stuff. We are so busy siloing up and putting people in silos that we have lost the ability to look at ourselves first in humility and recognize that we are just staring at somebody in the mirror. We live in prejudice and fear and projection. This is why Jesus was really honest. He said, look, Don't go after the speck in your brother's eye when you have what? A log in your own. The only way you find that out is if you're willing to shadow box. Look in the mirror. See, shadow boxing is really rumbling with that inner Pharisee in all of us that wants to project our problems, our negative feelings, all of our issues onto other people. Because that's easier. Just put the blame there. Everything's going south. It's because of those people. See, but here's the thing, and here's what I'm so excited about with the church. Because if those, those of us who are following Jesus recognize this and, and want in a desperate way to model the kind of humility and grace and compassion that you learn when you box in the mirror, when you shadow box. We have to practice the art of shadowboxing together to spend some time on us, looking in the mirror, not like narcissistic navel-gazing, but it's letting all those negative emotions or those places of pride and self-righteousness or fear and insecurity or hurt and blame, whatever it is, all of those impulses drive us to the mirror so we can ask God, what is going on in here that is making me react like this? in judgment or fear or insecurity or you fill in the blank, to begin with a posture of humility and not with one of self-righteousness or judgment or pride. See, again, what he says at the end of that passage is those who humble themselves will be exalted in the end. And those who exalt themselves will be humbled. We kind of have that backwards right now. We're so busy exalting ourselves, whether it's exalting our, our political opinion, whether it's exalting people that agree with us, whether it's exalting our way of life. Like, we're very busy exalting ourselves. It doesn't always look like me saying, hey, Josh is great. It often looks like me saying, yeah, people that think like me are pretty great. We exalt ourselves instead of humbling ourselves and seeking Jesus. So here's a question for you just for a moment this morning to shadow box with a little bit. When and where are the times that you move into Pharisee mode? That pattern of self-protection or projection, when and where are those times where you tend to do that? Is it your politics? Is it on campus? Is it when you have to step out of your comfort zone and do something hard? when you encounter somebody who's in a different socioeconomic status, a different skin color, a different culture, race, nationality. And then the question behind the question is, what are you afraid of? What are you really afraid of? What's, what's causing that reaction of fear? Hurt anxiety blame pride self-righteousness whatever that negative emotion is what's what's causing it and the only way to find out is if you're standing looking in the mirror and saying Jesus what what is that See that's what Jesus calls us to is this place of humility of A posture of love and grace and blessing where we get to be agents of reconciliation and hope to people. That's the posture that he has invited us into, not fear and judgment. In fact, very often what we see in those places of fear and judgment, blame and resentment, it only hurts us. But the truth is, again, you have to go through you to get to the backside of freedom, to get to be an agent of reconciliation and of hope. You have to go through you. This is the way that the message puts it in, in uh, Jesus in the, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, look, here's the deal. You are blessed. You are blessed when you get your inside world, your heart, your mind put right. You are blessed when you get your inside world, your heart, and your mind put right. Then, then you'll be able to see God in the outside world. Then and only then you'll be able to see God in the outside world. The NIV translates that pure in heart. And what it means is an undivided heart. Or maybe externally you're like, hey, how's it going? But internally you're like, that guy is a jerk. God says, blessed are the pure in heart. Who don't live undivided but in humility consider others even more than themselves. This is the way of Jesus. This is what we've been invited into. And the truth is, here's the thing that we need to remember this morning. We don't have to do this alone. Because as much as it is you going through you, here's the truth. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a spirit in you. You have a a savior beside you who is walking with you as you're doing this. He is the coach standing next to you as you shadow box. And you see something that you don't like in there. And he says, just move this way a little bit. Dodge that punch. Get out of the way. Get out of your own way. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Search me and know my heart, God. Search me and know my heart. Test me and see my anxious thoughts. And, and let me know, if there is there anything offensive within me? Is there anything offensive within me? And then lead me in the way of everlasting. Test me, God. Know my heart. Know my thoughts. See what's going on under the surface. See if there's anything offensive in me and then lead me in the way of everlasting. See, this is important. This is really important because as much as we talk about how we have a tendency to, to project and blame and push this outside of ourselves, as much as we are hard on other people, you and I both know the only person that we may be harder on is ourselves. As much as it we, we can be hard on other people, we can be brutal with ourselves. Like this is why I think J- Jesus talks about following him as a narrow road that leads to life. He uses his example as a narrow road uh, that leads to life. Because in one ditch, you've got the, the side of the emotions of blame and, and justifying our actions and our, and our behaviors. And shifting our blame to other things and, and excusing ourselves when we hold other people accountable. That's, that's one ditch that Jesus is warning about at this point. Don't be like the Pharisee. But on the other ditch are the voices of shame, condemnation. The voices of accusation that tend to get thrown our way. Feelings that we're not enough. See, those voices also look at, back at us in the mirror and, and they're part of our inside world. And that's a harder journey to really go in and dodge those punches as well. But you still have to go through you. No matter what, you still have to go through you. But you get to do it in the presence of Jesus. See, that's the gift of all this, that God's goodness it is right there walking with you. We were doing a men's uh, breakfast not too long ago, and we were talking about how COVID in particular, just in our culture, one of the things that we've seen is that the stress level during COVID, regardless of, of whether or not you feel it on a day-to-day, is way higher than it used to be. And the way that we've described this, or, or therapists and psychologists have described it is, what COVID did was it didn't create something new in us. Instead, what it did is like a lake, it lowered the waterline. In all of our lives. And it revealed a bunch of stuff that was already there. It was just under the water. And people are now having to, to deal with themselves and deal with that junk that was under the water in other people. And it's just caused the stress level in our lives to go through the roof. And so people are struggling, hurt, lost, loneliness. All of that stuff is at an epidemic level. Burnout, they say, actually right now has been pushed to the extreme for most of us because of this underlying level of stress and because there's parts of our lives that have been exposed and we've been exposed to the parts of other people's lives. And so we're living in, the, in this mess, in this, in this milieu where all this stuff has been exposed. And one of the things that I said in, in our time together is I asked the guys to consider a question. Here's how you know where this stuff is, is answering this question or this sentence. I feel pressure to be better or more than I am. I feel pressure to be better or more than I am. Where do you feel that in your life? Chances are that is just something that's been exposed by the waterline dropping. I feel the pressure to be a better father. I feel pressure to be more productive at work. I feel pressure to be more engaged in every sphere of life. And you hear stories about how some people are thriving during COVID, and that becomes the new measuring stick for all of us. And so then we're stuck with this question of like, gosh, they're pulling it off. Why can't I? And then all of a sudden, somewhere in here starts this bubble up, this, this shame, these emotions that we don't know what to deal with, and the ugliness that has been exposed because the water line has dropped. And we're stuck feeling that sentence in different parts of our lives. And so we either, and here's where these two ideas are linked. We either feel that pressure and that stress and we externalize it and we start to blame and justify and excuse and diminish or we feel the pressure of that sentence and we internalize it. We start to beat ourselves up All of it comes from the same place. Jesus is saying, get your inner world sorted out. Let me help you go through you. Paul talked about this, and we're going to close with this passage on screen. Paul talked about the only way to do this, the only real way to do this. It's in 2 Corinthians, and he's talking about leading this life in a culture that is radically against everything that he's trying to do. And he says, look, here's the deal. He uses military language because he wants people to get how serious this is. For though we live in the world, first century Mediterranean world, 21st century pandemic-driven world, whatever it is that we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. See, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons in the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish Strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought. We make it obedient to Jesus. Paul says, wage war. Box with the guy in the mirror. Throw punches and learn how to dodge those punches because it's a battle. If you expect it to be easy, you are going to struggle because the guy in the mirror is always throwing punches. So wage war with the weapons that God has given you. See, we have the power to demolish strongholds, he says. Strongholds are these emotions that have a grip on us, a strong hold on us, fear, insecurity. Just go down the list, hurt, blame. Justification, excuses, strongholds—we get a hold of our lives, and we end to live by him. Because no, you have the power. You remember, you have the power to demolish strongholds in your life. You have the spirit in you that is willing to help you go through you if you're willing to stand there and look. And he says, we demolish every argument, everything that we assign value to that is not in agreement with what God has for us. We demolish every argument and every presumption, every pretension, every presumption about people, about myself, about what this world is, we demolish it in the name of Jesus. And instead what we do, we take captive every single thought, whether that's a thought a negative thought about somebody else, or it is a negative thought about ourselves. We demolish every thought. We take it captive, and we make it obedient to Jesus, to what God says about you, to who Jesus is. The message puts it this way, and I think it's so succinct for us. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, for tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, and fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Jesus. Friends, this is the only way for you to go through you, and it is the only way for life and freedom to be yours, is if you let Jesus stand next to you as you look at the man in the mirror. And in a place of humility, trust in the goodness of God to bring you to the other side. Because it's Jesus, it's Christ who says you are holy, you are adored, you are loved, you are cherished, you belong, you are more than enough. He says that about you. And then he says that about all the other yous that are next to you. He says that about you. And then he says that about all the other yous that are next to you. Let us take every loose thought, every emotion, every impulse that sets itself up against this knowledge of God and submit it to a life structured and shaped and informed and formed by the life of Jesus in us. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. And I just encourage you as we do that maybe something that was said this morning, just kind of pricked at you. And you know that there are places of hurt or shame that God wants to deal with, but you're afraid to go there. I would just encourage you in this moment, God, I'm afraid to go there. I've glanced at the man in the mirror, and I'm a little bit afraid of what he's going to throw back at me. Ask him to give you the strength to enter into that. Maybe you're here and some of these words are a little bit convicting because you go, yeah, I have definitely been a Pharisee in different parts of my life. Just take that to God, too. See, the road to Jesus starts with repentance. It starts with confessing these places and just going, God, I don't want to be that. I see something in the mirror there that I don't like. Help heal that in me. Help me go through me. So, Father, we we lift these prayers up to you this morning. We recognize, Jesus, that you have invited us into life and life to the full. And so often we're just distracted. We're hiding from all of the junk that you know we need to deal with and we know we need to deal with. So I pray, God, for a a new spirit of humility to fall on your church to fall on all of us, Lord, that when we engage with people, that the pharisaical attitude that comes across, that can come across, Lord, would be healed and gotten rid of, that instead would come up out of us the very spirit of Jesus that is alive in us, that we would be willing to set aside all of our self-righteousness and instead live in the righteousness that you have called us to. Father, we are your sons, we are your daughters. We believe that when you tell us that you love us, that you have called us, that we are chosen, that that is in fact true. And so, Lord, we just pray anything that hinders that. We come against it in the name of Jesus. We ask, God, that you would fill us anew with your spirit this morning. Help us go through ourselves to get to the the us that you have created us to be. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.